how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. R.J. Cutler loves the narratives of the real world, but spent the first few years of his career as a theater director. These days, he's best known for his documentary work like The War Room, A Perfect Candidate, and The World According to Dick Cheney. Most recently, though, he's tackled a documentary on comedian John Belushi, another on musician Billie Eilish, and the new Apple series Dear, which chronicles the, quote, Biographies of iconic figures in society by using letters written by those whose lives have been changed by the work. In this interview, Cutler discusses being compelled by subjects, why he avoids talking heads for Belushi, what it was like to discover Marlon Brando's secret recordings, what he learned from biographer Walter Isaacson, details on an upcoming Martha Stewart documentary, and his Wayne Gretzky approach to filmmaking. You know, I, um, I, I, <laughs> I guess what I want to say is that I had two, two passions when I was growing up from, from as long as I can remember, really uh, dating back to maybe when I was seven years old in first grade. Um, and they were uh, the theater. Uh, I loved putting on plays and I was directing plays on the, in, in, during during school recesses and after school as again, as early as first grade. And I, and I love journalism. Uh, I, I was uh, seven years old in 1968 and, uh, and the only television shows I was allowed to watch were the nightly news. Um, uh, and uh, of course I was, I was living in a, in a five channel universe uh, in, in 1968, but I was incredibly compelled by events of the day, as you can imagine. Hmm. I mean, 1968 was, was as dramatic a year in, in American history as we've ever had. And, uh, and I, and I couldn't believe what, 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 what the nightly news had to offer and, and was, it was, and I started a school newspaper anyway, I, I maintain these passions and these interests throughout my, um, uh, into adulthood through college, 
uh, I, I, I studied theater, but I also uh, um, I took a year off in the middle of college and worked in, at National Public Radio on, on on Morning Edition and All Things Considered. I just was I loved the narrative of the real world, um, but I manifested my art in theater and, and was 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 um, and, and pursued it as a career. And the first seven or eight years of my career, I was a. Uh, I was a theater director working in New York, very, uh, you know, I was, I was a Broadway baby. I was James Lapine's assistant on the original production of Into the Woods. I, I, uh, I had a home theater at Playwrights Horizons. I, I directed the original, two original productions of a musical called The Secret Garden, which ended up running on Broadway for a couple of years. I, I was, I was, but I was always missing something and, um, and and then one day it it occurred to me that um, that that I wanted to make a film about the nineteen it was nineteen ninety two not one day uh, I wanted to make a film about the the um, presidential campaign I was so obsessed with the election and I was so compelled by it and uh, I'm doing my best here to make a long story short but I, it was in nineteen ninety two that I thought you know what somebody needs to make a documentary about this presidential campaign. It seems like it could be a, um, a turning point in American history. And why not me? And uh, I called my friend, uh, Wendy Ettinger, who was a, 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 a casting director who I worked with all the time on my plays, but someone who I knew had family resources and aspired to be a film producer. And I said, why don't we make a, why don't we make a movie together about this campaign? And she said, you know what, we should get D.A. Pennebaker and Chris Hedges to direct it. And I was like, well, that sounds great. And, uh, and, and, and it's, this is the, the silliest thing in the world, but, uh, uh, the next thing we did was look up their phone number in the phone book. There used to be phone books, uh, dialed it. And uh, uh, when I dialed it, Penny picked up and I said to him, uh, uh, I told him who, who Wendy and I were and that we'd love to talk to him. And, uh, and he invited us over. And uh, I dare say the rest is, is, is personal history and a little bit of, uh, of film history because that initial meeting led to the war room and uh, and I was in a position to kind of study at the feet of the masters, Penny and Chris, D.A. Pennebaker and Chris Hedges, the film's directors. And I learned, you know, more or less everything I know from that experience and fell in love with documentary filmmaking in a way that as much as passionate as I was about theater directing, uh, I hadn't been in love in the same way. And I knew this was, uh, this was really my life's calling and, and, uh, and I've never looked back. When you're so we'll kind of we'll bounce around a little bit. When you're looking for your next subject, would you say you're generally compelled to do something? And then how do you kind of take the energy when you go and, and pitch to uh, someone like Billy or maybe the John Belushi estate that you're the right guy for this project? Well, um, nobody meets me unless I'm convinced that I'm the right guy for the project. Um, but, although there are exceptions, you know, interestingly, the Billy is an exception. Uh, but but I, I won't take a meeting if I'm not certain that I'm that I'm compelled. Um, and um, and and one of the things I learned from uh, uh, Penna Baker and Chris is that is that uh, ideas, can, great ideas can come from anywhere. They don't have to be my ideas. So, with, in the in the case of the Billie Eilish film, 
uh, I, they approached me, they came to me and they asked if I would be interested in meeting with Billy. Now, I knew a little bit about Billy when I was asked and then I learned, uh, I learned a lot more uh, as soon as I was invited and from everything I learned, I thought, my goodness, there, there's, there's enormous potential here and this is exciting and, and she lives you know, down the block and, uh, and, and isn't that nice? I have a young family, you know, I've got young kids. So, so a project that struck me from the beginning that it was likely to be a cinema verite project, which meant that uh, I'd be in the field and on the road, but uh, uh, for, for the better part of a year, it seemed to me, um, uh, something that was local when, when we were, when we were, you know, when Billy was home would be good. So, so that was attractive, but of course I was, I was interested in her. I was interested in her story. I was interested in this relationship that I read about, but this creative partnership with, with Phineas, her brother. Uh, I was compelled by all of those things. And then when I met her, uh, it, it, was, it was instantly clear to me that here was a you know, kind of amazing opportunity to make a film about a young artist coming of age, a significant young artist, a perhaps a generational uh, young artist, uh, as well as uh, the story of a, of, of a quite remarkable young woman coming of age. And that I could, that there would be a, a very rich personal story about teenage life in this moment, a subject I'm always interested in, and, um, and uh, uh, a very compelling story about an artist in this moment, a subject I'm always interested in. So here were two subjects in one person, um, and, uh, and, and how do I convince someone that I'm right for that? Well, you know, we met, we met, we connected. Um, all I could say is I'm interested. I never really try to convince someone that it's right for them. Um, that's personal, you know, and, and I, I, I want to respect that that's personal. And if they ask me, why should I do this? I generally say, you know, that's up to you, <laughs> but I can tell you why I want to do it. And I try to, and you know, listen. These um, these relationships have to be uh, uh, they, they have to be real because the only the only thing that matters when you make these films is trust, and you have to earn your subject's trust, and you have to earn it on a daily basis. And and I think uh, there's no other way to do that than with with them by being real and being honest. So, um, so something like that. Yeah. How different were your approaches to those two films where Billy, you're, I assume you're kind of figuring out the narrative where Belushi, you might kind of go in, you kind of know what the tent poles are and you know, like where his life went and everything. Well, they're very different. I mean, with John Belushi, you're telling the story of a, of a, a, a man who lived, uh, died tragically at a very early age. Uh, um, but that was 40 years ago. Um, and you're and and you know that you're telling the whole life scope uh, with Billie Eilish. You're telling the story of a young woman who's still a, a you know a girl, really mm -hmm. a child. When we when we met her, she's she was 16 years old when I met her. Um, she was 18 when we stopped filming or when we completed filming. Um, and and so yes, on the surface they're very very different. On the other hand. Um, in a way, the, the Belushi film is a, they're both films of discovery and they're both films where you're, you're um, uh, uh, seeking to find truth in the narrative. 
and 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 following the journey um, with Belushi, the journey was one of discovering what was available to us archivally, and then identifying um, you know conundrums, riddles, things that couldn't be solved. John was a very private man, living in a time really at, on the verge of uh, of of the American culture of celebrity and People Magazine. Uh, didn't launch until 1974. Saturday Night Live launched in 1975. Uh, there was, a, you know, J John Belushi didn't do an hour long Barbara Walters interview. <laughs> There's no deeply confessional moments. He's, of course, not on social media because social media doesn't exist. He doesn't have a phone and a, a, a camera in his pocket everywhere he goes. People aren't always filming him. So there's very little really to work with, but there's enough if you can fill the gaps and, and, and that's how we arrived at the notion of using animation, uh, which became its own process. Uh, and, um, and then of course, uh, John left behind a lifetime of letter writing because while he was a very private man in terms of his public profile, he was very open and emotional in terms of his relationship with Judy and Judy, because she trusted us, was kind enough to share those letters with us. So it's a discovery process there with Billy. The discovery is what happens today. You know, it's a it's a it's a pure cinema verite approach. And and for that, you're you're applying the cinema verite uh, um, uh, discipline and the the. <laughs> Uh, over time, I have found the best way to describe what we do in the field is to is to reference the great Wayne Gretzky, the 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 the, the great one, the greatest hockey player who ever lived, and who also didn't give very many interviews. But once I heard him interviewed, and the interviewer said, "Tell us, great one, what is your secret? How do you do what you do?" And Gretzky said, "Well, it's quite simple. I just follow the puck." And um, and uh, uh, we, I remember watching it and thinking, my goodness, he's on a he's on an ice rink, competing with a with a, you know a dozen other people, all of whom are trying to get a puck to do what they wanted to do. But Gretzky is letting the puck tell him where it wants to go, and that's what we try to do with our work. I I don't want anything when I'm making the Billie Eilish film. I don't want her to say anything. I don't want her to do anything. I don't want her to win. I don't want her to lose. I don't want, and all I want is to see with clarity. All I want is to see what happens and to be as empathic in that moment as possible so that I can understand it in terms of a narrative so that when I go back to the edit room at the conclusion of filming, uh, I, I have a sense of what I've witnessed, what I've experienced while I witnessed it, what I feel uh, from that experience and what story I want to tell. I'm just following the puck. Tell me a little, so I just spoke with um, Bao Gwen, the director of the Bruce Lee documentary that came out last year. I noticed that your film and his film chose not to use Talking Heads, your, your Belushi film. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be and what the decision was, if it was more creative, if it was financial, what kind of made sense to um, it's, I'm so way. I'm so glad you're asking because I'm having a lot of these conversations now about um, about the the nature of the Talking Head uh, in in documentary, and it's a great conversation uh, um, in in uh, um, MLK FBI. 
there's a uh, uh, there, there's also no talking heads uh, with that brilliant film. Um, in there, 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 these films are kind of emerging where the filmmakers are choosing not to use talking heads. And I'm starting a new project, and and we're talking about the pros and cons of talking heads. I personally, this is RJ as viewer. When I see a talking head, I'm like, yeah. You know, I, I don't there. You know what I say? There's I, I can't remember a single talking head interview in The Godfather uh, and 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 we're making cinema and I want the audience engaged. I don't want them. I, what, why stop the, the cinematic visual oral journey to see someone sitting in a chair uh, and and talking? I certainly don't want them doing analysis. Um, and by the way, The Godfather isn't the only scripted film that doesn't have uh, talking heads. I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to anyone to at Sally uh, and Rob Reiner used that uh, specifically to, to, make a, to make a point. He put in those talking heads. But, but generally speaking, right? Am I right? Uh, yeah. A great narrative film that you've loved didn't have talking heads. Well, why should why should the documentary have it? People say, well, that's because documentaries are informational. Not to me. To me, documentaries are cinema, and uh, I Wikipedia is for information. And I I when I be, I want to be engaged, I want to right brain journey. I want to be on a cinematic journey. Uh, and I and 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 I want my as a filmmaker, my audiences to be in this in the same situation. So um, I first experienced this as a filmmaker, as a producer with Listen to Me Marlin, when Stephen Riley, the great director who made Listen to Me Marlin, that film came to be because I was fortunate enough to discover uh, box unopened boxes of audio tapes that Marlon Brando had kept his entire life, hmm. of audio diaries, uh, audio recordings. He would record seductions. He would record rehearsals. He kept every little micro cassette of, from his from his, uh, uh, his you know his telephone answering machine. I mean, the man had hundreds of hours of audio tapes that he kept. He thought one day he would make a documentary out of it. Well, he never did, and we got to make it instead. And and uh, Stephen very wisely, as he was doing the analysis of that material, concluded that that would that material would be enough. The entire film would be kind of a synaptic journey through Brando's life, and it wouldn't feature a single talking head outsider talking about it. It would just be Brando's voice from beginning to end. And he made that film, and it was brilliant. And and John Batsik and I produced it, and we had such a wonderful experience. Similarly, with the Belushi film. Um, I started talking to people at the beginning of the process who knew John and shared his life, shared their lives with John when he was alive. This was in the, in the, you know, I, I, I started doing this in, in maybe uh, 2017, 18. And, uh, and, and I was doing these, um, uh, these pre-interviews with people and everybody was really boring because they were telling me the stories they tell about John when they tell stories about John and they were telling them 30 years later and they weren't, it was, it was like, it was all lost in the foggy haze of memory. It wasn't real. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't raw. And the one thing I knew was that if I was going to make a movie about John Belushi, it better be real, immediate and raw. So uh, the question was, how do we solve this? And one day we were in Martha's Vineyard looking through Judy's archive. And I said, what's in that box? And she said, oh, those are, that, those are the audio tapes from the oral history. 
oral audio tapes in the oral house. Well, in the wake of Bob Woodward's writing Wired, which was a great disappointment to the uh, John's family and friends, uh, because they felt he so missed what what um, what the essence of who John was. Uh, Judy had set out to oversee an oral history. And over time, she and the journalist Tanner Colby and some others did 30, 40 interviews with the folks closest to John throughout his life. Nothing much came of it. There was a book that was kind of the tip of the iceberg, which came and went, but there was no full oral history that that it, which is what the film became. We had access to those tapes. Well, with access to those tapes, the last thing and my personal feeling about uh, about uh, uh, talking head interviews, it was easy for me to conclude. Forget it. Let's just uh, let's just build it from these tapes, and we did, and it was wonderful. With the Billie Eilish film, with with you know Verite, the whole one of the whole fundamental points about Verite is that we're not going to be sitting seeing sit down interviews. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. That's about me. That's about what I want Billy to say. And as I said before, I'm not, it's not about what I want. It's about her life. It's about what she's living, what she's experiencing. And, uh, and so, uh, so this trend towards not having talking heads, I think it's really interesting. I mean, uh, there's that very interesting uh, series uh, uh, that I have nothing to do with on Apple TV now that uh, Asif uh, Kapedia uh, uh, um, is overseeing um, that uh, is about 1971. And, and there's no talking heads in there. There's lots of interviews, but there's no talking heads. And you hear the voiceover and what a pleasure, what a joy, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm I'm willing to make my point multiple times, but um, I, I clearly, uh, but I, I I think I've I've spoken to it. I just think, you know, uh, if if I never had to see a talking head again, I I'd be I'd be just fine. What do you think today separates? Um, just to say it, yeah, sure. Unless there's a reason, unless right. it's an active choice, a positive choice. Yeah. I want to, there's a project that I'm starting on that's a kind of morality tale. And I want the folks in that case, I want the folks who were, um, who were on, whose who's moral decision-making is the subject of the film. I want to look into their eyes. Hmm. And there's a reason I want to look into their eyes. And I want you to look in their eyes and I will put them in the chair and I will interview them. But that's because that's what the film is about. Bell said a similar answer. It's like, I don't want people talking about Bruce Lee in 1975 and then showing them today when it's so much later, it takes you out of the, the film we're talking about. Well, that's a, a similar thing. We're doing something now about a man who, who um, that dates back to the 1960s. And again, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I, everybody we'd interview now is, um, you know, is on in years. And this is uh, the, the subject of this is his youth and vitality and what it was like to be when he was the bon vivant of Miami Beach. Well, it, it's not necessarily going to be fully communicated if what we're looking at on camera, uh, it could be if it were a film about age, if it were a film about the passing of time, it's not. Those are not fundamental themes here. What else kind of separates um 
maybe someone writing a biography today versus a documentary? Do you see it as more emotionally based? Like, do you worry about, I need three references where this fact has been proven or is it more of, how, how do you kind of see truth, I guess, in your films? Um, I, uh, it's such a great question. It's a big question. I can't tell you what it's like to write a biography. I've never written one. Um, I, I admire, I'm, you know, a, a great fan of, of, of great biography. Uh, I've, uh, um, in, I, I had, uh, uh, the opportunity once to sit on a panel with Walter Isaacson and it's, a it was one of the great, uh, educational experiences of my, uh, of my life. And I, I, um, uh, I, I picked his brain as much as I could. And I referenced that conversation often <laughs> in my, in my work when we're talking, um, you know, I, 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 one of the questions I asked him was what, what, what ties all his subjects together. And he said, uh, it's all about daddy. And I was like, <laughs> boom, boom. I'm telling you day one on every film I do now, it's like, okay, let's start with daddy because we'll, you know, we just announced we're doing a Martha Stewart film. You start with daddy with Martha Stewart. You're, you're on a very rich path. Uh, you know, her, to her, her father was Willie Loman. He was an enormous disappointment to her, though he loved her very much and she loved him very much. She was one of, uh, I think, uh, nine children or seven children. And, and, and uh, 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 he, she was, he was, uh, she was his favorite, but, um, but he lost his job early in her life. And, uh, and, and she had to support the family through modeling as, as young as 15 or 16 years old. Well, that's a fundamental, if you're wondering what drives this remarkable woman who's, who's perhaps the most successful, uh, um, uh, certainly the first self-made uh, female billionaire in American history and one of the most successful women business people we've ever had, you know, it's, that's a good connection. Thank you, Walter Isaacson. So I, um, I, I saw, but I can't tell you what it's like to write a biography because, um, because I've never written one. Um, I'm also not a journalist, um, but I am seeking the truth. And, um, and, and what I have found is that the truth lies in, uh, in a combination of what I witness and what I experience while I'm witnessing it. Mm -hmm. And that is, which is to say that you and I could have had the same exact access to Billy over the course of the year. We might've even chosen to shoot the same exact shoot days we might have even chosen the same exact crew. Hmm. And yet the film that we made, and we might have even worked with the same exact editors. And yet the film that you made and the film that I made would be completely different. Now, part of that has to do with the, your filmmaking approach versus mine. But I believe the essence of it is that your emotional experience witnessing what Billy went through that year and my emotional experience witnessing what Billy went through is completely different. We have, so we bring something to it as the biographer, if you will, that combines with what we witness, the truth, which is very complicated, right? A lot yeah. of things are true at once. And then we tell a story and how we construct that story is informed by those two things. So that's how I begin to answer the question of how do you, uh, how do you, what is the, what, how does truth play into this. I always also, um, if I'm not telling the truth, it's the first thing I want someone to tell me. And when we, and we always show the film, the subject, the subjects, the film before it's done, uh, it's their story. Uh, it's an act of respect. I remember when we, <laughs> when I showed up in Casper, Wyoming 
to show Dick Cheney and Lynn Cheney and Liz Cheney, the, the world according to Dick Cheney, uh, which was of course arranged. I didn't surprise them, but I, I did say, I, I had arranged to come screen the film for them. And right before we started, I said, are there any questions? And, and uh, uh, Lynn Cheney, the vice president's wife said, uh, yeah, what are you doing here? <laughs> He said, a lot of people do things about the vice president. Nobody comes to show it to us first. And I said, well, you trusted me. He gave me a week of interviews, eight hours a day. We spent days filming. You, you helped me get access to the archive. Uh, the, it's, your, it's your life. The least I can do is show it to you. And if I'm not telling the truth, you'll let me know. Well, they had some notes and approaches, but at the end of the day, after a long, very intense conversation after the film was screened, the vice president said, you know what? This is RJ's film. This is what he sees as the truth. And uh, I'd make a different film, the vice president said. And I find that my subjects would always make a different film. Um, but, uh, but you made that movie and, uh, and, and, and off you go. We don't have any notes. So, so it's, a, it's a very interesting dynamic and approach, but I, uh, you know, if I got if I got the the facts wrong, I would I, I I'd be the first to want it corrected. Tell me a little about so you, I think it sounds like everything you've said you just see it as a very cinematic approach to your subjects. Have you thought about going into television, telling longer stories? How do you decide? Is it more about I've got this much time? I want to figure out what this truth is in a certain period of time. How do you think about some of those factors? Well, I, I'm, I think I'm in the, in, the, in the modern, what is called reality TV era, I, I made the first uh, long form documentary series, American High, which we made in 1999 and 2000. It won the first Emmy Award for nonfiction series. And it was 13, 14 half hours. Uh, and that was the story of a year in the life of a group of high school seniors. And my feeling was that that story needed it was a sprawling story with a with a, a large cast, and it needed um, uh, it needed that time. It needed that space. Uh, I've done similar projects with young physicians, young men and women in the military, all of which have been series, um, and a couple of our new projects are series. So, um, uh, you know, and and what is television is a good question. You know, right now, the last year, I've watched all my movies and all my TV on the same screen. So when I tune into Netflix and it's, it asks me if I want to see about, if I want to go to the movie section or the TV section, it's an interesting, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's an interesting paradigm, but it's a paradigm that is rapidly changing and is, and is, and is evolving. I guess series are multiple parts and TV is 90 minutes plus. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, and movies are 90 minutes plus, I guess, but you know, there's a lot for all of us to talk about in terms that we're using that were defined in the uh, 20th century, now that we're in the 21st century and, and, um, uh, and, and, and media delivery has, uh, has changed so much. So um, perhaps for our next conversation, we can talk about all of that, but you're asking the greatest questions. And I, I wish we had a longer time because I love talking about all of these things. So um, I, I thank you. Thank you for tuning into the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at 
brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.